TJFlyGrade.com podcast. Here is your host, TJ Buffenbarger. Hello, world. On this edition of the TJSlyGrade.com podcast, Kel Hart, the voice of the Skagit Speedway, takes time out of his busy day to discuss the big news with Skagit Speedway being sold to a new promotion group. We'll have more on that momentarily. Also, have a moment today to sit down with Logan Wagner to talk about his return to the Knoxville Nationals and also Zemco Racing returning to the Nationals for the first time in several years. So without further ado, lots to talk about today. So let's get things started. Well, we don't need to use this soundbite very often, but some, some news I don't want to say really broke, but kind of got finalized as uh, the Skagit Speedway, after 20 years of promotion uh, and stewardship under Steve Beitler, is now under new ownership. Uh, the 5-5 Promotions Group that consists of Peter Murphy, Kevin Rudine, and Mike Anderson have come to an agreement to purchase the racetrack. So, of course, we've got to bring in Caleb Hart from the Skagit Speedway to discuss the big news in the Northwest today. And, uh, Caleb, first of all, uh, thanks for taking time out to join me because I'm sure your phone's probably blowing up right now with text messages and everything else with this news breaking. Uh, it's been a busy day, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. We celebrated. We we actually did kind of have a celebration because Funtime Promotions, Steve Beitler, uh, took over August 1st, uh, 2001. So literally Saturday night's race, we celebrated 20 years of, of to the day of promotion. And then two days later, it sold. Um, and kaboom goes the internet machine and kaboom goes the people trying to find out all of the, all of the stories and everything that you can possibly learn right now. And, and yeah, it's been a busy day. That's for sure. Now, obviously right now we don't know a whole lot because this is kind of now just coming to fruition. It's been rumored for a little while and just became official today. We obviously know Kevin Routine. Uh, from the 26 car out here in the Midwest. But for our audience, uh, Rudine's actually had quite a, uh, a high-profile presence in your part of the country. Can we talk about, let's talk a little bit about what his presence is like in the Northwest in the racing scene. Kevin has has accomplished everything as a car owner that you could ever accomplish out here. Um, in fact, uh, Rudine Racing is a what we would call a Triple Crown winner out at Skagit Speedway. They've won World of Outlaws A features. They've won our Dirt Cup A feature. They have won our Summer Nationals A feature. Those are three big tent pole uh, sprint car races out here. So as a car owner, Kevin's got it all. He's done it with multiple different drivers, too. Uh, they've won local track championships. They've toured up and down the West Coast, gone into Oregon, gone down to the other track here in Washington. Grace Harbor Raceway had success there. So, um, yeah, there's there's literally nothing that, that the blue brand of Sprint Car has left to accomplish around here. And, and beyond that, too, Kevin has provided opportunity and help, some of it public, some of it not, to a lot of folks over the year. Um, you spoke about the, you know, the Corey Elias and All-Star Circuit Champions team that he's fielding in the Midwest right now. Uh, the last two years, he's brought out kids from the Northwest to come run a national midget program. First, you know, in 2020 with Tristan Thomas, and now this year with Chance Chrome. Um, kids from the Northwest getting an opportunity to go try their stuff on a national scale. Really super cool thing. 
um, starting to be a huge part of the Race for Dean Foundation, which the Race for Dean Foundation has um, spread a lot of knowledge and done a whole lot of good in terms of um, addiction awareness and recovery and such like that just around the world. But also, that's been an avenue for them to come into some race programs and to get their name out there put up a little bit of extra sponsorship money, put some money in the racers' pockets, et cetera, especially last year during the COVID-19 season in which everybody was trying to get through. So Kevin is loved out here for everything that he has done on track and to support and grow racing in the Northwest uh, for many, many years. And, you know, you, you look at... So who's the guy? Who, who's the sprint car guy out in the Northwest? And, you know, the top dog in the food chain is Kevin Dean. Now, the name I'm not as familiar with in this uh, release reading is Mike Anderson. I see he's a car owner, but I'm not quite as familiar with him. So what should we know about Mike? Mike is as passionate about racing. That, that, that's one of the wonderful things about this promotion group, 55 Promotions, um, between the three. They all, their passion for open-wheel sprint car racing is incredible. It's intense. Uh, Mike has fielded a top-level operation out here for years. Um, Jason Solwalt's currently his driver. Um, They've been back. I mean, they make a pretty yearly trip to Knoxville where, you know, Jason's run the whole Iowa Speed Week back, back there from the 360 show to the Cappy Classic and Oski and then on through through the 410 Nationals. And, you know, they go up and down the coast when the Outlaws come out to tour. It's a first-class operation there. Um, you know, when the 18 team unloads that they're going to be a tough competitor that night. Um, and he's fielded good cars for good drivers. He is a he's nearly picked up the Grand Slam. Actually, no, he has picked up the Grand Slam at Skagit Speedway as well. Um, they've got Summer Nationals wins. They won Dirt Cup with Soulwald in 2015, and they won the World of Outlaws show. 20 it was either 2012 or 2013 with Travis Jacobson, and what was considered, I think John Gibson said it's one of his greatest upsets of all time. In that, so I mean, Mike's fielded a successful car out here and been involved behind the scenes in a lot of stuff too um you know for years if he had enough to field a second car he'd pull a guy out of the midwest and come out and come up to run i remember he's brought jack hottenshield out a few times to do dirt cup and stuff like that so he's a player he's a big player uh good guy smart businessman has been a successful businessman for a while and uh, he's a good asset to have involved with this group and of course, former driver and now promoter Peter Murphy. Most of our fans familiar with him, but Peter, former Australian sprinter driver, and has found great success in the promotion business in California uh, with uh, Colorado Speedway and doing some stuff out there and uh, his Peter Murphy Classic events and stuff. And, and has really brought some flair to some of those racetracks promoting events. Uh, it, that it might be. Would you see Peter's styles being a bit of a culture change for the Northwest in promoting? I don't know. Um, I would say, from what I have heard from Peter, and and I'll preface this with, I myself have not had a direct conversation with any of the new ownership group about their plans for the track or what they intend to do, um, other than just conversations with them on the side about non-speedway related things. But here's what I know about Peter, and here's what I've heard about Peter secondhand from the people who have gone down to California to compete in the track that he's at down there. He is, as far as relating to drivers, crews, and owners, 
one of the best. He's going to cover the aspect of that of that of getting people excited to come race at the place that he's at. He's going to bring a lot to the table in that regard. It, it's hard to find anybody who has a bad thing to say about Peter Murphy. I haven't found one. And from all the success that he's had in California so far, now he's going to have a chance to do it on a stage that's going to shine very, very brightly. You know, one of the things about the state of Washington um, is that Skagit Speedway is almost on an island unto its own up here. Um, the next closest place that runs dirt sprint cars is two and a half hours away as the crow flies and maybe five when it comes to traffic. So you kind of have a chance to draw your own unique group of cars, fans, etc. be isolated and grow something. Whereas in California, you know, you've got a lot of dirt racetracks you've got to compete with, a lot of other schedules you've got to look at, a lot of additional stuff. And I think that Pete's going to have a real opportunity, and I'm sure this is part of the reason that he was excited and is part of this team, a real opportunity to stretch his legs on the promoting side of things and the, the, the building car counts and building a crowd counts that might be a little bit tougher in California just because of the natural inherent disadvantages of working in that state. And now, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the outgoing promotion group with Steve Beitler. Obviously, Steve's accomplishments as a racer are well documented, but over the past 20 years, he's managed to uh, steward the ship very well over there at Skagit mm-hmm. Speedway. And what do you think his legacy is going to look like leaving Skagit Speedway? Well, you know, when I started hearing the first rumor of the track selling, I spent some time thinking of, okay, if Steve sells now, what do people think of him the day he steps out the door, 10 years after he's out the door, 20 years after he's out the door? I think exactly what is your legacy. He has stewarded the ship for 20 years, but let's make no bones about it. When he, before he got here, this ship was sinking. Um, I wasn't around at the time, but many people have told me that, you know, it was in such a dire fiscal and facility shape that, you know, if Steve hadn't stepped in and bought it, we might be talking about a lot of real estate right now and not a race car track. So on that alone, I think his legacy has to be he's the guy that saved Skagit Speedway when it was in its darkest day. And I hope that people look at that and go that deserves some credit that deserves a lot of gusto he didn't have to he's been a successful business person in a lot of other aspects of his life um he did not have to own a racetrack but he chose to and he kept the place from going under and made some pretty incredible improvements around the facility if you you look at some of the video from how it looked in the late 90s to what it is now between the beautiful lighting system, uh, putting new surface down six years ago, doing walls, doing brand new bathrooms, doing all of that. You know, he sunk a lot of cost into growing Skagit Speedway and trying to raise its national recognition from where it was to where it is now, where we've got events and we've got people that pay attention to what we do on a semi-regular basis and to the point where it became attractive enough for 
a guy, a, a group with the profile of a Kevin Rudine, Mike Anderson, Peter Murphy, to want to come in and buy it. Now, you have your finger on the pulse on the Northwest there, uh, based on your day job and your uh, your new moonlighting as an announcer. Um, what do you think the the general reaction has been to the sale of the Speedway so far today? Looking at the social media reaction, very positive. Um, I think you've seen a lot of, wow, thank you, Steve, for 20 years. Let's see what happens next. I would say that that's the general the general consensus that I see so far, and you've got a lot of a lot of optimism here, and I say that um, this group with Kevin and Mike and Peter, and I, I don't know Peter as much well from the business standpoint, but I've, I've had some business dealings with Mike Anderson, and and I've seen how Kevin Rudine operates in all aspects of his life. Everything is going to be done to the best of the best. Corners will not be cut. Um, shortcuts will not be taken. Um, if it can be the best of something, it will be the best of something. And I'm, if, again, I haven't spoken with this promotion group directly, but if some of what I'm hearing through some back channels comes to be true, we're in for some exciting times in the Northwest. And I believe it. I mean, you look at just again, from what you've seen as, as fueling race cars go, these guys are, these guys are all about being the best. And you want to talk kind of a hidden sneaky side story to this whole thing that I'm, I'm sure one or two people have thought, but maybe not is that you look at some of the contemporaries who are going into owning private race car facilities at this point in time. So toss fairgrounds tracks out the door, right? Um, Knoxville's out the door. It's fairgrounds track. Um, a lot of the California tracks are fairgrounds tracks. Toss them out the door, right? Look at the privately owned facilities that are growing and making huge gains in spectators and eyeballs and in public perception of events, etc. Eldora Speedway, owned by Tony Stewart. Jackson Motorplex and Houston Speedway, owned by Todd Quaring. Kevin Rodine's got a place now. And you don't believe that as competitive as he is as a car owner, he's not going to be competitive as a racetrack owner and want to make Skagit Speedway eclipse every other track possible in terms of quality, racing action, fan experience, you name it. Uh, I'll bet you that 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 is definitely a thought in part of getting this thing is, you know, now this group gets to come and, and play in the big leagues with those with those other car owners who also have tracks, and they're going to put their best foot forward, and I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good thing for the Northwest. I, I'm kind of excited for you and to see where everything goes because uh, I think it's I think like you said it's a not some untapped potential maybe there a little bit and and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how everything goes. Interesting from like a demographic perspective, and this is something that when people are looking at racetracks and why they have such and such for car counts and why they have such and such for fan counts. Um, Skagit Speedway is in a very interesting area of the world as far as demographics go and as far as population bases go. Um, we have, if I remember the story, over 1 million people that live within a 60-mile drive 
of the front door of the facility. Um, from the Canadian border to basically north end of Seattle, um, you know, over one million people in population. And, you know, you take some of the places that are out in the middle of nowhere, right, that have 25,000 people within a 60-mile drive. So it's a very unique opportunity at a track that doesn't have a lot of city around it right now, but is close enough to enough corporate business and enough population base that as a venue and considering size of the venue already, there's some pretty incredible things that could be done with it because we've got the backbone for it in terms of the business atmosphere in Northwest Washington to really make some things happen. That is awesome. Well, Caleb, I'm going to look forward to watching it from afar to see what's going on out there. It's good to visit with you again, too. I'm I'm terrible at sometimes keeping up with people, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this. Uh, I'll have to make do better and make sure it's, uh, it doesn't take breaking news for me to catch up with you, though. Uh, you know, anytime, TJ, I appreciate everything that you do to uh, promote racing uh, out in TJ Slideways. It's a very, very cool thing. And uh, hopefully uh, in the future, you'll have a good reason to uh, come out to the Pacific Northwest and yeah, my, see something happen. And is, again, I've heard nothing but rumor, but there yeah. could be some really insane stuff on the horizon. Yeah, and it is on the on the family travel bucket list to get out to the Northwest. So it's uh, uh, we had some side, some tricks our trips get sidetracked this year so it's going to get pushed back a little bit but it's definitely on my bucket list so well we'd love to have you you know we always got a a place to be when you're out here so we'd love to see you i appreciate it Caleb. thank you very much for your time have a good evening you are welcome for the first time in several years logan wagner is going to make his way out to the Knoxville Raceway, and he, uh, as the the recording of this interview, he is fresh off a feature win during a makeup feature at the Port Royal Speedway. So, first of all, Logan, congratulations on the victory Saturday. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So let's let's talk about Saturday. It's kind of weird. You had to wait for that one a little bit. It's not the big one you wanted to win, probably Saturday, but still, it's nice to get a win. Yeah, you know, it was nice that Port Royal did um, opt to have those two features in one night. Uh, it helps guys, you know, just anyone that's making the tow there or, or making the trip, it makes it worthwhile, especially with one for 10000 and the next one for 5000 So um felt like we had a decent car in that first run uh, for the 10000 just got uh got passed there on the start and we're right with D or right with Macri and DeWeese on the first one just couldn't capitalize on the pass and uh Marks got strung out and, and sort of ran away with it on the top and uh, made some corrections and and was really fast in the second one now and the exciting news though now looking ahead is for the first time since well at least i'm looking at first time since 2017 the zemco team is returning to knoxville raceway and you are as well uh how did the deal come together to return to the nationals this year yeah, I was there in 15 uh, with my dad's equipment, and we were one spot out of the B-Main uh, to win in Rookie of the Year to Aaron Russell. And we've had success out there. Uh, then in 2016, we went back out. 17, Blaney drove the car, the uh, L- the car, the Zemco car, and uh, they just haven't went back. Uh, they, they changed their program up in 2018. When they hired me to drive, I was... Um, 
I was a replacement for Blaney and they just wanted to do a limited schedule. Didn't want to travel much anymore. Um, so I was the guy for that. And after, you know, persuasion and convincing to get John and Pee Wee out there again, I know Tommy wanted to go. Uh, we finally, we finally made the move this year. And how different do you think it's going to be going there versus your first two years with this group that actually has quite a bit of experience going there? Yeah, they've uh, they've had a lot of success there. I know they won prelim nights um, out there with Jeff Shepard. Uh, they run third with Stevie Smith at the actual Nationals Nationals. So uh, they've had Daniel Lasowski drive for them. They've had a number of really stout drivers driving for them out there. Um, I think that they have really good notes, really good notes for the place, but you can't beat seat time either. So uh, it might be, uh, might be a little change of pace for myself, but I have success adapting to different tracks. So I feel like we'll be, we'll be uh, competitive. Um, we just need to fire off early and, and often. And you're a guy that's used to going fast. I mean, you race on a big half mile every week, but everyone I talk to, it doesn't seem to matter where they're coming from, from Knoxville. They say Knoxville is just so much different than everywhere else. How would you describe that to someone? What, what makes it so much different compared to like your part of the country or so many other places around the country where they come there and say, man, this place just seems so different than everywhere else. I think more so than anything, you know, just looking at the general dynamics of the track, I think more so than anything, it's the, it's the gumbo dirt, the gumbo clay, uh, tends to glaze over, get really slick. And then also have a lot of moisture and grip in certain areas. And, uh, it's like night, night and day difference from one spot of the track to another spot of the track. And, uh, you know, the fact that they have two lanes, well, the bottom and top, and it can change and the drop of, a drop of a hat you go from the bottom to the top and then also the top can get treacherous with a lipped up cushion we've seen it um i think it was geo selzy there in the feature last week just got it a little sideways and hit with his right rear and pulled his front so i think that's what makes it so difficult and the fact you have to carry so much more speed and momentum and keep the wing down uh we we excel at that i feel like on different tracks when it does get slick and and uh and get slow um, with still being able to maintain airspeed. So I would just need to rotate and, and carry the bottom, carry the top, and uh, be versatile with the track more so than anything I feel like. From an observational standpoint, when I see guys roll around the bottom of that place, it looks like one of the trickiest things to do in sprint car racing. I mean, to me, it looks just insanely difficult. Is it as hard as it actually looks to stick a car in the bottom of that place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to put a right rear against the outside wall at any track. And then I think it's even harder to put the left front on like this sketch berm type of parallel on the inside of the track. I think that's even harder. So, um, you know, centrifugal force in, is, is involved and it wants to take you on the outside. But to be able to put that left front on that ragged edge where it lips up to where it's flat and have your right rear still in the moisture, left rear still in the moisture without skating out, I think that's very difficult. And then you also have to factor in the airspeed. You have to maintain the downforce to keep it locked down into the track. So the guys that excel there run the bottom, and they rotate around the bottom. So uh, looking back at how I run 2015, you know, we, we had a car that could run run that ragged edge bottom um, if you know what I mean. And then also something to be able to rip the top and down in the corner if I need to. Logan Wagner talking to us about the upcoming trip to the Knoxville Nationals. 
And I see you're on Thursday night. Is that the night your team chose or was it chosen for you? And did you have a preference at all which night you wanted to go? Yeah, we uh, we, we picked Thursday night. It just seems to be a little bit more uh, a slick, racier. Uh, you can drive from the back. I feel like Wednesday night tends to be faster. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much every team knows that. You know, Wednesday's going to, they're going to unload. It's going to be a little bit more moisture. And then Thursday night will get a little slower, a little faster. So, or slower, faster throughout the night. So, um, that's what we chose. And uh, hopefully we can maintain that. I know there's, really good guys on Thursday. I feel like Thursday might be a little bit more stacked than Wednesday, but at the end of the day, uh, we're there for Saturday night. we got to race against them all Saturday. So um, looking at it, we just need to lay down a good time trail lap and, and consistently pass cars in the heat race position ourselves well for the feature and execute. So that's our main goal uh, going into, into Thursday night. When I tune into Port Royal, whether I'm watching when I get home from somewhere else or I'm watching from the house, you're always passing cars, which is a good thing at Knoxville. But also another key thing are the two qualifying laps on your preliminary night. Might be the most two important laps of the year. For a driver's standpoint, can you describe the pressure you guys are under? How does it feel to make that attempt, that two laps, knowing that so much of your nationals is based on how you're going to do in that qualifying attempt? Um, I, there's a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of pressure leading up to it, but it's just something you don't, I don't really try to think about. I'm going to do all the research I can and, and know where the track's going to go, um, at what point and do everything we can to know if we're going to run the bottom to the top, to the middle, to the diamond, whatever we need to do. But we can't, I can't put myself in a position where I'm going to make, uh, faulty mistakes because I'm under so much pressure. I feel like with, you know, my job, even on the racetrack or in the airplane, I work well under pressure. So we just need to be able to go out there and, and not let the pressure weigh on our shoulders and put a smile on and, and realize embracing the moment is more key than uh, feeling the pressure of the moment. And, and just being like, hey, we're we're at the 2021 Knoxville Nationals. How cool. You just mentioned you're going to do research and stuff. Are you more of a video study guy? Are you, uh, you know, how do you go about that? Yeah, you gotta you gotta watch the videos. I mean, I I study videos uh, top to bottom. Um, doing a lot of research every day uh, on trying to figure out what lane to run out there. Uh, do a lot of research at Port Royal, check the track, check the check the depth, visualize the moisture um, where it's going to come up and and go away. So, yeah, I, I do a lot of studying, uh, a lot of research. But at the end of the day, uh, it's it's what works with your car and what works with your team and. And uh, you got to be able to adapt within those first couple warm-up laps at the Nationals and, and unload fast. You just mentioned your, your day job as a commercial pilot. So does that mean do you fly yourself to Knoxville or do you actually drive out there? I, I have flown out there, but no, I'm, I'm driving. Uh, we got to take the T-shirt van. We, uh, we have to take another car. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that we're just going to, gonna enjoy it's it's about a 14 15 hour drive and uh nope we're gonna we're gonna leave the planes behind and, and drive out i i usually fly for other people I'm, i don't fly primarily for myself so um i'm usually taking someone else on vacation or, or somewhere else so nope it's all it's all business when we go out there that's interesting you know so based on your job it kind of leads me to a question is the driving almost like a, a break from the from the air travel? I mean, is it, do you like actually still road trip? Or are you about nine hours in that 
15 or 60 hour tow go, man, I wish I could fly out here right now. Oh man, I, I do love flying. You know, I wish I could fly out and I'm, I'm going to embrace the drive, but uh, I would, I would much rather hop in the jet and fly. You know, I've never spoken to you till this moment. You seem like a really positive attitude guy. How do you, you know, I, at least it's coming across right now. Is that something you try to convey with your racing stuff? Because there is a lot, big, good, a big part of mental, you know, aspect of driving the sprint car. And it seems like there's a lot of mental things that go into it. Is that just something you try to do in life? Or is that just something you, when it comes to the racing, you just try to keep positive? I mean, I feel like uh, life's sort of what you make it. You know, everyone uh, can wake up every day and have a good positive attitude or a negative attitude. And I, I sometimes fall prey to negative attitudes. But ultimately, if I can be more positive and, and attract more positive energy, you know, that's what I'm going to bring into my life. So I have a good time, man. I have a, I have a great life and uh, try to be positive on and off the track. Sometimes you get down and, you know, you just maybe went backwards in a feature and or you're wrecked and a little kid comes up and wants you to sign his t-shirt, you know, and you gotta, you gotta put a smile on your face and be positive and, and show him, Hey, we can recover from this. And, uh, and it works. It really does. So, um, I was listening to a podcast. It was, uh, Dale Jr.'s podcast. And I think he was talking about Chase Elliott, uh, embracing the run for a championship. You know, he's going into like his last race and he can either embrace that moment or he can, you know, fold under pressure essentially. And he embraced the moment, like he's embracing the opportunity to run for a championship, not being scared of running for a championship. So I think if we can just do anything going into the nationals, we need to embrace the moment of being there and and grasp what that feeling feels like rather than fold under the pressure of being at the Knoxville nationals, you know, realistic goal for your race team going to the nationals. When you're leaving Knoxville, Iowa, what, what do you think, what do you need to accomplish to go, yeah, this is what we we wanted to do coming out here. I mean, I think it all really depends on how we unload. If we can unload and we're fast in time trails, my goal just went from making the A main to running well. Um, if we don't unload fast, we have to be realistic. Hey, we need to play catch up here and, and find what's what's going on, and then our goals may change. So I think ever so changing goals, looking hindsight's twenty twenty, make the A main, uh, run well in the A main, um, and pass cars in the A main. So, you know, that's my goal going into it. Anything can happen though. It's Knoxville nationals and you have a hundred of the best sprint car drivers in the world. So yeah, we have uh, fluctuating goals. And like we said, man, just embracing the moment of being there and, and, and trying to adapt to the ever so changing track and ever so changing competition. Uh, that's going to be the toughest part, but realistic goals, let's make the A main and, and pass some cars. Final question for you: If uh, if someone came up to you had never been to the Knoxville Nationals before, and they wanted you to tell them why they should go, why would what would you tell them? Why would you tell them to come to Knoxville? I've I've told plenty of people, you know, over the past couple of weeks, it's the crown jewel of sprint car racing. You know, uh, the museums there, the the people, the atmosphere, uh, what Kendra Jacobs does out there um, with the promoting and, and interacting with kids. I, I just seen like Tyler Courtney's playing hula hoop with kids, um, fans there. And they do like these cool driver interactions that I wish whenever I was a kid, like we did that. So, um, just, just the atmosphere and, and the stories that you can walk away with and tell your kids about, or, or talk about the future, you know, is, uh, it, 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 there's nothing comparable to it. 
Well, Logan, appreciate the time. Best of luck and be safe going out there and look forward to seeing you out there as we're recording this in about a week or so. Hey, thank you very much, TJ. Good talk to you. All right, thanks. That will do it for this edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast. We're going to have to thank our loyal sponsors, Maxim Chassis and All-Star Performance. And also thank you to all of you that took the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Safe travels, and I'll see you down the road at a racetrack soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the TJ Slideways podcast.